Hey guys, it's Lindsay with NBC Media. Thanks for listening to our podcast and be sure to look at our website for events that you can get involved in. See you next Sunday. Turn your Bibles, if you would, please, to Luke 12. Luke 12, looking at verses 1 through 3. Luke 12, verses 1 through 3. Sermon title today is Avoiding a Life of Hypocrisy. You know, I've, I've looked back at some of my sermons because <laughs> as I'm going through the book of Luke, and, and you all know that my memory is just not all that great. And um, so I was looking back to make sure that I haven't preached on this set of verses, which I've not. But I got to looking, I also did just a quick look up of the word hypocrisy or hypocrite. And really, I haven't preached much at all on hypocrisy. And I really believe that hypocrisy, being a hypocrite, is one of the worst things that we have going in our churches today. But we'll get into that in just a minute. Let's look at our verses, Luke 12, verses 1 through 3. And it says, In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, First of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what, and what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. I thank you again for this opportunity to preach this message that you've laid on my heart, Lord. May it fall upon the ears and hearts that are listening and open to your word. Lord, bless the reading of your word and guide me as I speak. And we ask these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This will be one of the longest intros that I ever have done here and one of the shortest Three points and a close that you've ever heard. And also, much to my daughter's happiness, I don't have any follow-up verses. We will be just looking at the three verses that we have just read. Hypocrisy. We hear this word in one form or another many times. Times. Actually, many times when I'm talking about the church to a group of other people, not necessarily believers, but just other people, I'll hear, well, I don't go to church because it's filled with a bunch of hypocrites. And I, my normal answer or statement to that is, isn't that exactly where they should be? In church? In this opening here, I want to kind of look at two different points of this. And they're not on the board. But the first one would be for the Christian, hypocrisy is the false 
security. Now I looked it up on the, in Holman Bible Dictionary. Hypocrisy defined as pretense to being what one really is not, especially the pretense of being a better person than one really is. We've come to believe in our religious persona. Yeah, that word came from Lindsay this morning. I didn't like what I had in there. I was looking at several different words to try to figure this out. And she said, well, Dad, it sounds like persona. We've come to believe in our own religious persona. People presume that we're religious long enough that we have come to totally, totally believe it ourselves. As we maintain the appearance of being a good Christian, we start to believe that exactly is what we are. A good Christian. Now friends, this is a dangerous, I believe it's a dangerous place to be. In fact, we'd be better off in obvious sin because at least the likelihood of conviction of the Holy Spirit is greater. Jesus said in Matthew 21 that leaders, the religious leaders, were less likely to come into the kingdom than the prostitutes and tax collectors. We've studied that sermon, that verses before. A big reason was that sinners knew that they needed to repent. The religious leaders were too convinced of their righteousness and their religiousness. Friends, that's exactly what's going on in many of our churches right now. We convinced ourselves that we are good, everybody else is bad, when we really should be looking inwardly and saying, you know what, I'm, as Jesus said, as filthy rags. Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. The second part of that is looking at it as the non-Christian. For the non-Christian, it's the disappointment that happens when you look closely at Christians' lives. The hypocrisy of a Christian is damaging to non-believers also because they get interested in enough, enough to move a step or two towards God only to be knocked backward by what they see. They get up the courage to actually come to church only to find people wandering through pointless habits and rituals Void of any real worship. Friends, I've been, you know, I've been in enough churches and I've been in, uh, employed by enough churches. I see it. I see it all the time. Many times we just, and I'm not, I don't want to pick on anybody. That's not what I'm doing. But the fact is sometimes you look out and I know that Minds of people sitting in the pews in several different churches I've been are a hundred miles away. 
maybe even farther than that. They're thinking about, oh, what's, what am I going to cook for dinner? What am I going to do today? What am I, oh, I got this thing going on at work and I've got to, they're not, sometimes their mouth is moving, but you can just tell their mind is not on. Their heart is not on the worship experience. We're praising God with our lips, but we're not praising God with our hearts. And you know what? Lost people that are sitting in the pews, they can tell it. They can see it. And they can feel it. Non-Christians may even start to pray. Only to have the biggest Christian in their office do something unethical. They think about believing in God only to find that the preacher is more interested in what they can give or offer than interested in their own soul. Yeah, friends, sometimes your pastor is guilty of that. I see somebody come in the door and I'm thinking, oh, maybe I'm thinking they're already a Christian and I just assume they're going to be a great addition to our church because I know some of their background. And that's wrong. My heart, my thoughts should be in their salvation and in their spiritual condition, not what they can add to this church. I found that one of the biggest things holding people back from pursuing God is Christians. Rarely do Christians bring up the Bible or defend its truthfulness openly or try to explain Jesus' life, ministry, and resurrection, but eagerly join in the juicy gossip about others. I've met many Christian kids who could tell you their favorite sports person's stats or sing a complete song, uh, one of the new songs, but yet can't quote a single Bible verse. I've met a lot of kids like that. Teenagers too. They have the memory skills to tell you everything about anything going on in sports, secular lives, tell you about their favorite movie star, but they cannot quote a single scripture verse. Not even John 3.16. That's a sad, sad state. This is a major reason that I think while we have so many of our young people walking away from the faith, they come when their parents find it convenient or make them come, but when something more important or fun comes along, church is set aside. There is no more family devotionals. Matter of fact, there's very little going on that what used to be commonplace when we were young. And I think I know most all of you uh, pretty well, and I know your backgrounds, and I would say, I would dare say that most of us didn't have some sort of devotional time, and there was no 
no anything that would get in the way of coming to church unless you were direly sick. Kids understand hypocrisy. Kids would rather, as we talked about even last week, and we talked a little bit on Wednesday, kids would rather just be honest and instead of playing church, just go do the fun things. (laughs) I get it, but I don't get it. Folks, it's, it's not just here. It's not just at other churches I've been to. I listen to this daily across the country and sometimes across the world. This is not a localized problem. This is a worldwide problem. We don't give God what's due to God anymore. We don't. I hear the preacher saying Jesus is the most important thing in the world, but see Christians dedicated to chasing the American dream. And in some cases I sure see even preachers chasing the American dream. So you wonder why we have problems with hypocrisy? Look at verse 1 again. Look at verse 1 again. It talks about yeast. We are a generation and a society that is focused on image. And I believe that our social media outlets have added greatly to our vanity. Look how many, you don't believe me, look how many pictures there are of ourselves. Selfies, you know, selfies. Take a selfie. It drives me crazy when I see gals that take pictures and 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 okay, I'm not a stalker, but the fact of it is is that sometimes it just comes up on my phone. So if it comes up on my phone then it's fair game to look at, right? And you see them going They're kissing their camera. Now, I haven't seen too many guys do that, but I'm not going to say they don't. But yeah, guys do take selfies. Personally, friends, you all don't need to see too many pictures of me. Might break your phone. But I've done it. You look at mine, yeah, I like to take pictures of me and with the sunlight in the back while I'm on my kayak. Yeah, I do. Every once in a while, you'll see a picture of me shooting a gun. That's not a selfie. It's usually my wife doing it. My my girth is not good to look at. So there you go. Okay, I can tell about myself. But the fact is, we have become people of vanity. Jesus in verse 1 calls hypocrisy the yeast of the Pharisees. What does that mean? Yeast is what you put in the bread if you want it to rise. It puffs up what you've got and makes it bigger and fuller than what you had originally. 
Now, any baker here knows that you just use a little bit of leaven to... What happens if you put way too much in it? It explodes, right? Kind of. See, I think we've gotten to the point in our own vanity that we're about to explode. The idea of puffing up is a pretty good analogy for our Facebook profiles that we have. And many have come to think of how they present themselves on Facebook as being more important than how we actually are. So you can put anything on Facebook. You can say, I'm the king of the world. And you know what? Facebook's not going to make you take it down. And there may be some poor sap out there that's just an idiot enough to think, well, he must be the king of the world. <laughs> I've always thought, maybe we should have someone else write our profiles on Facebook. Maybe not. I don't know. But maybe that might be a thing. It's dangerous becoming more focused on looking like we're living a good life than actually living a good life. And there's danger becoming more focused on how we present ourselves than in how we really are. We need to focus more on what it is and less on what it looks like. This should demand that when you find hypocrisy in your life that you deal with it. Many people are only worried how this issue is going to affect my image. When the main question should be, am I becoming what I need to be? Does my walk match my One of the reasons I believe that hypocrisy is so prevalent is that it's easier, significantly easier, to maintain an image than to change how you live. And God will help you change things in your life. Sometimes we cover up because we're sure that God will reject us if we're doing what we're doing comes to light. See, the fact of the matter is, is that God already knows it. You're not fooling God. None of us here can fool God. The way we live in darkness or the in out of the light, God knows all about that. We can't cover that up. We can't hide it from God. He knows all. So what you do, and we said this last week about forgiveness, now we do the same thing. We bring these sins to God with a desire to change, and He will forgive. God loves us how we are, but... He also loves us too much to leave us in that broken lifestyle. So He's going to convict us about that. 
Imagine a son or daughter caught in a prescription drug addiction and he calls his dad and he says, I, I want to get clean. Will you help me? And what father isn't going to help his son or daughter to get out of that addiction? Is this not also the same problem for the church? We have people that are hurting, caught up in sin, living a life as a hypocrite, desperately crying out for us to help, but yet we don't want to get involved. We don't. We talk a lot about image. and the marketing that goes along with it. But we don't talk a lot about prayer or forgiveness or the things that go along with that. So here comes my three major points. I told you it was a long opener. But here comes the three major points of what I think and how to avoid a life of hypocrisy. We're not going to be able to handle this issue like hypocrisy in just a few minutes that we have left. But let's look at some truths, four different truths that this passage points out, just in these three verses. And the first three points will actually be just again on verse one. There's a lot of Truth invested in verse 1. The first thing I'll say is let, do not judge your life on outward results. Again in verse 1, just a portion of it says, When an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together. When an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together. These words come amid Jesus finding some great success and popularity, although that's not what he was looking for. But Jesus is now in his ministry. He is drawing great crowds of people, people that are flocking to come and hear him and his words. But yet he is not impressed by them or by these crowds. He has a mission, and that's what he's going to focus on. He knows that the pressure of the crowds do not indicate success, just as the lack of crowds will not indicate failure. Remember last week when I told you that little story that I found about the church that had six or seven people coming for several years. But yet that pastor kept on preaching the word and finally got a hold of one person, just one person, who saw the significance of inviting many. And that's all it took. Jesus didn't care about preaching to thousands of people, just like he did when he... When he fed them. That's not the issue. 
Well, in most estimates, there's probably twelve to 13,000 people there altogether, 5,000 men plus women and children. There was a lot of people there, but that wasn't what impressed him. What impressed him was the need that these people had. He knows that the presence of the crowd does not indicate success. His goal is to remain obedient to his Father's will no matter what the outward results. Friends, you know, there's a lot of things going on in this church, and praise God for that. I think we're on the right path. But the fact is, is that these external things that we are doing should never take precedence over what God wants us to do, and that is to evangelize the lost. That's why we're here. I like being around you guys. I'd rather be around you than a bunch of sinners. But the fact of it is, and there may be a few in our midst, who knows? But the fact of it is, is that if we're not getting together to help evangelize the lost, then all we're doing is a social party. We must be obedient to our Father's will. We think... We believe that God's job in our lives is to make it easier and just to bless us constantly. But it's not. Do you realize that it is God's goal to make us more like Christ? Isn't that what being a Christian is all about? Secondly, we need to understand the road towards hypocrisy goes downhill. Again, in verse 1, it says, Be on guard. Be on guard. He tells us this statement because the road to hypocrisy runs downhill. You don't have to make a lot of extra efforts to get there. You want to get in shape, you're going to have to make an extra effort for that to happen. It doesn't happen by accident. Again, when I was writing this thing, what kind of better shape physically do you get when you're constantly running downhill or riding your bike and downhill and you never, you know, you never pedal? That's what I didn't never liked about it. Remember those mopeds? That was the silliest thing in the world. People, I, I can remember when they first came out and people were, you know, doing this thing and they were and they were advertising these things saying, well, you can ride your bike, you can ride this moped until you get to a hill and then you just kind of let it do the work for you going uphill. Well, the fact is, did you ever see one person actually pedaling those things? Uh-uh. Unless it ran out of gas or something like that. Matter of fact, because those pedals would kind of move from time to time, so many people had accidents on them because they didn't know how to keep the pedals in the right position, well, then they all of a sudden they come out scooters, right? There's no hypocrisy in a scooter. Everybody knows you're not trying to get in shape there. You're just riding it. 
But the but the but think about it. How much spiritual growing are you going to do if you never pedal the bike? If you're always running downhill, not going to get anywhere. You want to learn a new language? You're going to have to make an extra effort for that to happen. It doesn't happen by accident. I remember when I was taking German all through high school. And I didn't study a whole lot. And to this day, I can count to 100 in German. And generally every morning, I walk into the plant and I say, Guten Morgen. I can still say good morning. Well, that's just about it. You know why? Because I didn't make a real effort to learn the language. I made an effort enough to be able to pass the tests. But I didn't make an effort to learn the language. Being hypocritical comes easy. Thirdly, hypocrisy thrives among the religious. Well, since hypocrisy has to do with religion, then that kind of makes sense. It thrives with the religious. Again, look in verse 1, talking about the yeast of the Pharisees. This was a problem that the religious people had. In this verse, the Pharisees are called out on it. If you claim to be a follower of God, this is something you must watch out for. The danger here is that we often take our cues about what it means to follow God and what following God looks like. Not from the Bible, but from what we see around us. What do we see around us? We see half-hearted devotion, and we presume that God, that all God expects, that's all He expects, is just half-hearted devotion. But folks, God demands our full hearts, our full devotion. We don't see Christian people developing into Christ-likeness. He wants us to be, to mold us to be like Christ. So often hypocrisy thrives among the religious because we all lower our standards and say that that image-based faith is all we need to have. We just got to look good. The last point of this is live as though everything is public. Live as though everything is public because it ultimately is. Look at verse 2 and 3. Told you we'd finally get to verse 2 and 3. On the internet, 
Many browsers have something called private browsing. Maybe different on yours, and it's worded a little differently in Windows 10. But it's another name for what could probably more accurately known as the porn mode. Private browsing allows you to look up websites with no record in your browsing history of what sites you've been on. It's the chance to go places and have no one know where you've been. I, you know, I have preached sermons using the internet, so I'm not going to get into that right now. But the internet, for all of its wonderful opportunities of research and whatever else, has also become man's greatest downfall. I've told you before, one of the biggest reasons that I know of that when when I was younger and my friends, we'd walk into a a store somewhere. And back then, remember, they'd have the girly magazines right on the counter there. But you never looked at them because somebody there would see you and tell your parents you'd get in trouble. Then somebody got the big idea, well, we're going to put, put these magazines in some sort of sleeve. That way you can't just see them. So what you do, you go back there, and, when, and they'd end up putting them some uh, back place on the wall so you could go back there and you'd still see people pulling them things out and looking at them. Now, you don't even have to worry about getting embarrassed and getting caught by your parents looking at something you're not supposed to look at because it's on your internet. And how many times, parents, do we go into our kids' rooms and see what they're looking at? Okay, some do. I, I get it. Some do. But by and large, most parents have no clue what their kids are looking at by and large most guys know when their wives are going to be downstairs or over the other side of the house or upstairs or whatever and they know their wives aren't going to be coming where you are at your computer and they're sitting there looking at things that they shouldn't be looking at and we wonder why the family is in the shape that it is right now because we have replaced the intimacy of marriage to what we can look at on a computer screen. Don't believe me? Look at this week's Focus on the Family reports. They've been talking about it all week. Look at it. Or look at James Dotson's, um, it's not Focus on Family anymore, Family Talk. He's been focusing on it all week. Christians, if we're looking at that kind of stuff, we are being so hypocritical. For those of us and I think that pretty much includes all of us who think, do, and say things that we're presuming are going to be remain in private. And I think verses 2 and 3 are kind of eye-opening and horrifying. Everything that is concealed is going to be revealed. Friends, have you ever... <laughs> 
I, maybe your luck is better than mine, but now I've gotten into this discussion recently, but I can't do something wrong and not come up and just nab me right in the face. It always comes to light. It also tells us that everything hidden will be made known. Everything said under the cover of darkness will see the light of day. Everything that is whispered privately will be spoken publicly. Those are those are horrifying thoughts for all of us who have done, said, and thought things that were presumed were private, but someday, and it could be very soon, will be made public. And what is this a reference to? I believe it would be the reference to the final judgment or our giving account of our lives. Okay, yeah, folks, as Christians, we won't face that great white throne judgment, but we will have to give an account of our lives. And I don't know about you, but I don't want God questioning me on those things I thought were private because it's going to be revealed openly. So I I just want to close with this last thing here. Um, And I'll say this again at the very end, but live life as an open book. I found this reference to, and and many of you know this movie a lot better than I do, but The Truman Show, you remember The Truman Show? Jim Carrey was the, the star in it. He was actually an unknowing subject of a 24-7 TV show. That meant that everything he said and did was known to all. I don't know about you, but I think most of us would be horrified to think that our life had any similarities to that movie. Just think for a minute. How would you feel... If you found out, not if you knew, but if you found out there was a camera watching you every minute of the day and your life was being broadcast on TV sets to whoever wanted to watch every minute of the day, you'd be pretty upset, wouldn't you? The interesting is, though, the Bible just tells us that they do. That our life is an open book. So, here's the challenge question for today. How's your open open life book reading? How's the camera that's on your life? What's it showing? Friends, are you being a hypocrite today? Are you here just going through the motions? How about those people that work work with you that aren't Christians? What are they seeing in your life? What are they seeing in what you do on a day-to-day basis?
Let's pray as we prepare ourselves for our invitation time. Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. I thank you so much for the opportunity to preach this message. Lord, I just pray that our open book is worth reading. And that it honors you. Forgive us where we failed you. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Stand with me.